Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. I'm your host, Jess Sertikoff Romola, a fellow dietitian and the owner of Empowering Dietitians, a supervision business devoted to working with dietitians just like you who are tired of the status quo of our profession and ready to reclaim their confidence, purpose, and passion. Today, I'm joined by current Empowering Dietitians client, Anya Lovett. After spending 15 years specializing in nutrition care for weight management and bariatric surgery, Anya recently discovered intuitive eating and weight-inclusive care. We chat about her journey, including what it's felt like to navigate the dissonance of working in a weight-centric environment while learning more about weight-inclusive care. Welcome to the podcast, Anya. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I am really looking forward to getting into this because uh, the transition that you've gone through as a dietitian is one that I think a lot of dietitians can relate to, and it can bring up a lot of tough feelings and experiences. So I really appreciate your willingness to come on and share a little bit about your journey that we've been working on together over the past year or so um, yeah. and where you are now. So why don't we kick it off by you saying a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do as a dietitian? Yeah, so my name is Anya, and um, I'm a registered dietitian, and I, um, my entire you know career and background are were weight centric. Um, my education, career, and everything have been weight centric. I actually still currently work in a bariatric surgery clinic as the program coordinator, um, and um, you know my entire, like I said, my entire upbringing was you know focused on, on diet culture. Um, my father had a lot of health problems and, um, the, you know, growing up in the seventies and eighties, um, the, the answer that was always given to him was he needs to, you know, if he, you know, to improve his health, it was all about his weight. And so my, you know, my mother kind of got really into healthy eating and exercise. And, um, that's just kind of what I saw all the time. And it rubbed off on me. Um, and I, when I decided to become a dietitian, that's what I thought dietitians did, you know, they help people lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I think I even had, you know, I didn't get my undergrad in, in nutrition, but I, um, I got my, I went back and got my master's and I think I even had in the early two thousands, I think I even had a class called weight management. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and so that's what I, you know, that's what I thought dietitians did and that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to help people like my father, um, you know, and, um, so, you know, I got my first job was in long-term care and then I got a job in, at the hospital and acute care and, and then the, the, you know, bariatric surgery position opened up. And I kind of jumped at it because I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and and so um, it, it didn't take very long of working there before I started to feel like something wasn't right. Um, okay. I couldn't put my finger on it, but um, I just I, I didn't, you know, I didn't enjoy it. Let me say that. Yeah. Um, and so after doing, being the dietitian for a couple of years, the coordinator position opened up and I was so burned out with, um, counseling patients with weight loss that I, I jumped to that. So, and that's where I, you know, that's where I am now. So, um, 
Yeah. And so it was really your upbringing and your experiences with your family growing up that made bariatrics interesting and appealing to you at first. Um, And then once you got into it, it wasn't quite what you had expected it to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt like, you know, being a dietitian and the, you know, a lot of the patients have to go through a pre-op program. That's usually, you know, pretty lengthy. Um, And it's almost, it was almost just like I was an obstacle there for them. Um, They weren't, they didn't, they weren't really interested in the stuff I had to say, or the, you know, working on behavior changes. It was just like, you know, um, like they just had like their eyes on surgery. Um, And I just, I just felt like I was there to provide information and that was it. Right. Um, It was just, it wasn't fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a really important point too. I remember uh, when I was in undergrad thinking I want to go into weight management. I remember one of my uh, college roommates actually got her first job in bariatric counseling. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. How did you land that job? And it's so interesting to see she's now in intuitive eating and weight inclusive care. I've now transitioned, you're transitioning. And um, it's, it's fascinating to see how that progression really happens. So you started to feel uncomfortable in the position. It wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't what you wanted it to be. It wasn't bringing you that satisfaction. How did you discover intuitive eating and weight inclusive nutrition? Um, so I, I think I was living under a rock because I didn't discover it until last year. (laughs) Um, That's okay. (laughs) Um, I, got really into listening to audiobooks last year and podcasts. Like I also was totally living under a rock because before last year I wasn't doing any of that. Um, but I got really into it. And, um, uh, one of the first books I listened to or came across was at the third edition of the intuitive eating okay. book. Um, and you know, I have two kids and a full-time job. And so like sitting down and reading a book never happened, but I was able to listen to that book like I, I like absorbed it. I would just, I couldn't get enough of it, you know? And I was like, oh my God, this is, um, this is it. Like, this is what's been missing. Like, um, I, I know I've hear a lot of other dietitians say like, once you learn about it, you can't look back. And it's so true. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of the feeling I had. I mean, I'm still <laughs> in the bariatric clinic, but hopefully, you know, transitioning out, um, in time, but yeah, it's almost just like, I, I can't go back to that other way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that it sounds like that reaction for you was pretty immediate. You read it and it clicked. Um, yeah. And for some dietitians, they first get introduced to these concepts and the reaction is resistance of like, that's not going to work. You know, like that's, I, I remember thinking health at every size was irresponsible when I first heard about it. Um, yeah. And so you it sounds like you hadn't really been introduced to the concept of like health at every size, weight, inclusive care, or anything before intuitive eating. I think that it's not that I hadn't, I had definitely heard of health at every size. Um, probably like, I don't know, somewhere around 2013 or 14, but that was when I just had gotten the coordinator position. And I, like, I just, I wasn't ready to hear it. Yeah. I think. You know, I just wasn't there. It wasn't, it's, I, you know, I had gotten, you know, to a higher position in this bariatric surgery job and this was, you know, it was, 
that's where my mind was. And, you know, I think somebody had said something to me about health at every size and I was like, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, it's, it's that brush off. And, and that's important too, to, to acknowledge that it's normal. If you have that first, like, no, I'm not even going to consider that because it is so different from what we've been taught and how we've been trained. So yeah. it's natural to say like, I'm not going to pay that any attention, but you actually read the book. And I think that's where a big shift tends to happen is when you stop hearing about it from other people or like yeah. seeing posts about it on social media and you actually read what these concepts are. Yeah. I think that's where it can really start to click. Cause you start to see the research, you start to see uh, the examples and you start to see how it applies to our own lives. Well, and that's what I think just like, re yeah, reading the book and seeing the research um, was, that's what, like, like you said, hearing somebody else try to like convince you of it, like when you just aren't ready to hear that, you know, um, but I, but then, you know, after actually coming to terms with the fact that what you're doing isn't fulfilling um, and then, find you know, finding that and reading it and seeing the research, it's just like, you can't look back. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And so it sounds like you did not have exposure to these concepts in school at all. No, yeah. So like I said, I I got my undergrad in um, print journalism and and decided to go back to school to be a dietitian for my master's degree. And that all happened, you know, I graduated college at the end of the 90s and then went back to um, grad school in the early 2000s. And um, it, it was not a part of, of the curriculum at all. Yeah. At least yeah. if it was, I don't recall. <laughs> that's yeah, no, that's fair. And I mean, when we think back to it, the, the first edition of intuitive eating, uh, didn't come out until I think it was 96, 90, yeah. it was 95, 95 or 96. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's um, the year I went to college. So yeah. <laughs> and so it makes sense that it wasn't mainstream and it wasn't incorporated into our education programs that much. Um, yeah. and certainly health at every size predates that. Um, but it also wasn't mainstream. I don't know if it's yet mainstream, but it's certainly yeah. getting there. Getting um, there yeah. yeah. And that's why I like to talk to dietitians who were trained in this weight centric way, because I work with a lot of uh, dietitians who are like, I feel horrible that I was trained this way. And it feels like everything, not that everything that you learn is a lie or everything that you learn is invalid now, but it, there's a lot of like resentment and frustration and some really big emotions around the fact that you were trained in a way that doesn't seem as helpful as you thought it was originally. Yeah. I've definitely gone through, um, like, so it's been, what is this May? I would say it, uh, now a year where I've kind of discovered all this and, um, I've definitely gone through, it's like the, what is it? The stages of grief where you like, like denial, anger, all of that. I think I've had all of that. Yeah. Um, and I definitely kind of sat in the anger stage for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, but now, um, I, I still, I think I still have, you know, anger, anger moments. It's not like all the time anger. <laughs> like it sure, was sure. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's anger. Isn't a bad thing. I think we think that anger is this terrible emotion. It's powerful when you channel it the right way. It's hard when you get stuck in it. So can you think back to when you were in that anger stage and it was more consuming than it is now? Was there something that helped you move through it? Um, I think a big thing that like in the last six months or so for me is just like recognizing or realizing that like 
my thoughts aren't facts, you know, um, and just kind of when I'm like noticing anger, kind of having self-compassion with myself, like mm-hmm. that's how I was taught, you know, I, I, that's all I knew at the time. Um, and, and for a long time, that's what, you know, that's what everybody believed, like lose weight to be healthy. And so, you know, just having like that, instead of, I, I, I think when I was younger, I was very, and I'm still at times very, you know, self-critical and judgmental, but trying to move away from being judgmental and, and having more self-compassion has really helped move through some of those anger, initial anger feelings that I yeah. have. Yeah. And that's something that we've talked a good amount in supervision about. It's something that I wish that we were taught in school, like forget counting calories and all these things. I can learn that from a book, but like, how do I learn how to be more compassionate and less critical of myself? Um, And this, I'm throwing this out of left field. I don't know if you have anything off the top of your head, but is there anything that has helped you like one thing that has helped you be a little bit more compassionate? to yourself versus critical? Um, I think I don't even realize how critical I am at times. And so what's been kind of helpful lately is actually writing my thoughts down and putting them on paper, um, journaling. And it helps me see that I'm still being critical at times when I don't think I am. Um, so just taking the time to, to, to write things down, to journal and and write my thoughts out. Um, and then, um, you know, just in the moment, just being like, no, that was judgmental. Um, and just kind of having my back and, and telling myself, that, you know, or, or thinking of myself as like my child or my pet, like I'm mm-hmm. trying to talk to myself that way or trying to reframe a thought in a more self-compassionate way. Yeah. yeah. Um, writing it down helps me reframe it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, that's huge. And that awareness piece is it because I, I do think that we don't even realize how frequently we think negative thoughts about ourselves because they've been so ingrained in us and so normalized um, that when you really pause and write down the critical thoughts as they come and you have this list at the end of the day, you can take this step back of like, all right, this is actually something that I need to address. Or you might notice patterns of like, you have the same critical thought that comes up a bunch or the same situation tends to activate the critical thoughts. So that self-awareness piece just gives us more information so that we can then address it in a more effective way. Yeah, yeah. And so we already spoke to this piece of kind of where you were when you discovered the intuitive eating. You had already been feeling a disconnect in Mm -hmm. your work and- was the intuitive eating exposure, did that kind of exacerbate it? Did it, did it highlight anything? Did it change um, how you felt at all? Or was it kind of just the validation that you had already been feeling? It was definitely the validation that I had already been feeling like, oh, this, this is what I meant to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, another thing that's been helpful is like not, um, not being hard on myself for, for, going through all that I've gone through to get me to this point, because I had to go through all that to realize that this was the message that I'm supposed to be perpetuating or or putting out in the world. So, um, so yeah, it was just definitely like, oh, like this is it very validating. Yeah. 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 And that's, 
so fascinating. I think about that a lot with the concept of regret, because I, I think, of course, any one of us would say that we wish that we could go back and do less harm than we've done in our lives. And at the same time, the fact that we have done harm has taught us so much about how we want to practice and live and be in the future that it's, it, we can't separate it, unfortunately. Um, so it sounds like you're, you're acknowledging that the way that you've practiced isn't the way that you want to continue practicing, but that if you hadn't practiced that way, maybe you wouldn't have realized how important and how um, aligned this practice is now. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I don't, yeah, you just said it perfectly. And, and I just, um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to appreciate this for what it is without having gone through everything else that I've gone through. So yeah, I do wish that I hadn't spent, you know, over a decade, um, I don't know, possibly giving people eating disorders, you know, it's just, it, it or disordered eating, um, behaviors, um, that, that really kind of bears on my mind heavily. Um, but you know, again, it's, I, I, I wouldn't be able to appreciate this for what it is without going through that first. So, yeah, yeah. It's that, that, uh, constant reminder that whenever we can avoid harm, we do, and we try to avoid harm and we will still do harm in our lives as human beings, forget even yeah. just as dietitians, as human beings, we will perpetuate harm in some way. And so the only way that you can, uh, kind of not fix it or change it, but is learn from it. You know, that's, that's all we can do is say, okay, I can at least make sure this doesn't keep happening. I can change things to make sure that there is meaning behind this happening. Right. And like, I try not to have regrets in my life. Um, and I try not to look at failures as fail failures. I try to look at failures as like a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of a, a way that I've kind of reframed the way I have to look at, you know, yeah. what I've done to get to where I am. Yeah. It helps with the perfectionism too. I, uh, I have done things that I don't love in my life and they have always been the biggest, like they've propelled me towards change the most, I guess yeah. is how I should say it. Um, and for that, I can be grateful. Yeah. Awesome. For sure. Now you've made some pretty big changes over the past year. Um, this it's pretty remarkable to, to step back and see, actually, I don't know if you've stepped back in a while and acknowledged how far you've come in 12 months, but you read the book, realized that it was what you wanted, invested in supervision, started a private practice on the side, you're intuitive eating certified. Um, you've made big moves to try to bring your life into better alignment. Um, what has that been like and kind of where are you at now in your intuitive eating journey? Um, so it's been an evolving process for sure. Um, I'm, you know, working with a few clients now in my private practice with intuitive eating. And I think, you know, when I first started working with them, I, um, so let me take a step back and, and say, as a bariatric dietitian, I, I kind of like was a consultant, right? So the patients would come there and they would have a certain number of visits with, with me before surgery. And I had to get through the educational material so that they would have a safe surgery, right? Mm -hmm. So it was just like, it wasn't really, it was less focused on working with them on changing their behavior and more about getting through the material and the time that we had. And so I had to, you know, when I started my private practice and, and took on a couple of clients, just kind of trying to 
shift the way that I worked with people. And, and, you know, um, it wasn't about getting through material. It was kind of like meeting them where they were at, um, and learning how to coach them through the principles. When I first started, I was trying to do like a principal, a session, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I still have, I'm still working on that, but, um, just noticing that like they, we may not get through a principle in a session. It may yeah. take weeks or months to get through a principle. And we may focus on a couple of principles that, you know, while we're on, you know, at the same time. And so um, just trying to learn how or, or, or shift the way that I practice that way um, has been, like I said, it's still a work in progress. But um, I think also like um, I, when I first started, I was trying to create all the worksheets and um, have like PowerPoint slides to show them at our sessions. And, um, and it was like, I had to do that. To I felt like I was doing that to show my value of the program. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm still struggling a little bit with that, but now trying to kind of shift more towards just showing up to the call with, with the client and meeting them where they're at. And, um, you know, what they're buying from me is not a curriculum, but it's more of a transformation. And so um, just trying to, um, to keep that in mind, you know, and showing up to the calls with the patients or the clients. Um, and, and that's just been a huge change for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a huge change for a lot of dietitians. And, and we often get caught in that of, you know, you want to have everything prepared leading up to a session. You want to know exactly what you're going to talk about. And, you know, you have these bullet points and these worksheets and that can kind of help our, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it can help with confidence a little bit, because when you haven't done this before, you don't really know what to expect. And um, if you do have an awkward silence or you don't really know where to go, it can be helpful to fall back on those things. Yeah. And they can help get you started. But, you know, what we've talked about a lot in session is uh, that having those isn't everything. And that as you get more comfortable, you can loosen the reins a little bit and start to just show up and see what's going on in that client's life. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, I'm still, it's still work. I still have a tendency to create like what I'm going to say and all mm -hmm. that, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself veer from it a little bit in my sessions. So that's yeah. been, and that's helped with confidence too. Um, yeah. just, and then being able to see kind of light bulb moments with, with the clients that I, you know, that's what I was missing in the bariatric surgery, um, clinic. So, um, that's been very fulfilling to, to see people actually like have those light bulb moments and yeah. or aha moments and, and actually, you know, you know, help them make changes toward, you know, you know, with those light bulb moments. Yeah. Is there any, uh, I, I will always preface this whenever I ask people to ask me for like examples. Um, anytime someone asks me for an example, my brain goes automatically blank. So not to put you on the spot, but is there a <laughs> light bulb moment that you can think of, of one of your clients? <laughs> blank. Blank. It happens. I don't know why it happens all the time. Um, but I know that we've gone through them quite a bit where, uh, they've, they've realized there was one where, um, you know, they, one person realized that their desire to lose weight wasn't yes. rooted in, uh, their own desire. It was internalized from their parent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, you know, was talking to me, um, and, 
you know, her whole focus was weight loss when we first started working together. And in one of our sessions, she, you know, she was like, I don't, it's my mom that keeps telling me I need to lose weight. I don't even really know that I want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that was a, an aha moment for her. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Currently, <laughs> I can remember them when they're not mine. I just can't do it when I'm in the hot seat. Right. But, but we do have those moments with our clients and they're so fulfilling. And it sounds like that's helped a little bit with the imposter thoughts that can naturally come along with starting a new specialty. Yeah. I've, um, I've struggled with imposter thoughts my entire career. Um, I don't know if it goes back to, you know, my upbringing and childhood and uh, I'm sure it does, um, perfectionism and all mm-hmm. that. Um, but definitely something that I struggled with my entire career. And I always felt like I, w- I was the only one until I started working with you. I don't know, I, again, under a rock. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but um, yeah, I, you know, what's really helped with the imposter thoughts for me at least is, and I think I said this earlier, was just realizing that thoughts aren't facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, actually like when I'm having an imposter thought come up, actually just like labeling it as that, Mm-hmm. Um, has really helped take like bring the um, intensity of that thought down yeah. a lot. Um, and I think one of the things that you pointed out in one of our calls together, um, playing playing the thought out to the, the end. end. Yeah, yeah. I had never like you brought that up once, and it was like you know mind blowing. I was like, right, like what is the worst that could happen? You know. <laughs> Because Um, we get so caught up in that fear and we just let that fear paralyze us instead of actually like saying, okay, no, let's actually like go a step further. And when you do, and you play the script out and say like, what would hypothetically happen? We realize it's usually not that bad. We have a plan of what we would do if that happened, we can handle it and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been super helpful. Um, and I'm not going to say that my imposter thoughts have completely gone away. They're always there uh, or always going to be there. But instead of having like entire, my entire mental space taken up by them, I'm just, they're just moments now, you know, they're, and, and, and I can label them as that. And then it's much less, um, per, it causes much less anxiety on my part. That way. Ah, yeah. And that's the key. I think that we think that there's some nirvana that we get to of never feeling doubt and always feeling confident. And it's more that we can learn to get to a place where the doubt doesn't freeze us up. Um, and those thoughts don't keep us stuck in place. We're able to experience them without going down the rabbit hole of them. Um, and that's the big shift that you've been seeing, which is so cool to watch from the outside in. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't keep me up at night anymore. Cause I'm able to say, Nope. Which is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That's huge. Right. Um, Fantastic. It's been, it's been so cool to see your journey. Um, especially like I said, over the past year, because you know, it, it took me years to do what you did in one year. Um, I heard about intuitive eating in 20, I actually started taking it seriously. I should say in like 2016, 2017, I wasn't certified until 2020. Um, like it, it was years of this and that's, that's also normal. If anyone listening is on that trajectory too, but, um, it's also possible. Yeah. I think I just like that. I think I fast tracked it. Cause I was like, I had spent so many years being like, what is wrong? Like I even thought about leaving dietetics altogether, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think when I found it, I was like, okay, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> and I just yeah. knew. So yeah. 
And when yeah. it's that aligned, it, it's incredible to see. Now, as we wrap up, um, I'd love to ask you a hard hitting question that doesn't have one right answer. It doesn't have an easy answer, but um, since you have this very unique position of uh, having worked so long in a very weight-centric environment, bariatrics, um, and now transitioning to weight-inclusive care. Um, I would love it if you could give your two cents on that rift that we see sometimes between weight-inclusive and weight-centric dietitians um, and the, the kind of like animosity, stress, all of the, the not-so-good stuff that we're seeing happening within yeah. the field. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard question. Um, I, I think my take on it is there is such a thing as body autonomy and there, you know, there's still probably the majority of people out there that still, um, believe that they need to, or they just simply want to lose weight. Um, and so, um, and it makes sense, you know, where that's what they're, that's what they're promised. That's what diets promise. They promise happiness. They promise love. They promise acceptance. So it makes total sense that there's still so many people out there that want that. And so, um, you know, I think that, um, I think there still needs to be dietitians out there that, that, practice, unfortunately, from that paradigm, because we need dietitians supporting those people. Um, and so I just wish that, you know, there wasn't the rift. I wish we could all come together and collectively kind of work together for the greater good of everyone yeah. um, and just try to support one another. And instead of being, you know, tearing each other down, um, being more supportive um, for, for the good of everyone. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that take on it. That body autonomy piece is really important. Um, and also practice autonomy is really important of, you know, we can't dictate how others practice. All we can do is, you know, I think it's important that all dietitians look at the research on all sides of it. Um, because as much as us like weight inclusive dietitians think that it's like fact that dieting is harmful and it causes disordered eating and it's a hundred percent horrible all the time we still don't know. It's not cause and effect yet. Um, and so if we can recognize that, that, um, there are going to be people who listen to our spiel and we work with them and talk to them about the, the background of weight loss and dieting and do all the things that we do in our tool chest to help them on a non-diet journey, they may still come to us and say, no, nah, I want to lose weight. And yeah. if we don't feel comfortable practicing in that way, is there a, another dietitian who screens well for disordered eating, who uh, understands the risks of dieting, who knows who it's appropriate with um, and can take a quote unquote ethical, I know that that's a controversial term for weight inclusive dietitians, but you know, like a, a more informed approach yeah. to supporting that person. Of course. Yeah. Um, I just think it, it, it's important to have somebody to refer out to that you trust, um, especially if, you know, if the client's like, you know, no, this is what I want. And, you know, as a certified intuitive counselor, I can't do that, I, you know? So I, um, I, I, I think it's important to still, unfortunately, until the tide turns, um, that's where we are. And so I think it, it's, it, it's important that we still have dietitians that are willing to practice 
that way so that we do have um, reliable people to refer out to. Yeah. And it, it sounds like essentially this is a, kind of your stance is like stay in your own lane. You know, we can help the people we help. We can advocate for changes. We can try to get weight inclusive care taught as a viable option, as a, you know, best practices solution in undergrad and internship. We can do all of those things and at the same time recognize we're not there yet. And so right. if there's another practitioner who's looking at all the research and interprets it differently from us, we stay in our lane. Um, it's not about tearing them down. It's about focusing on what we can actually control. Yeah. 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 That's huge. And I appreciate you. Would, would kind of go away and, and that we can all kind of like collectively come together, but yeah. And like, it's, it's not about like being sitting around a campfire singing kumbaya. We don't have to all like right. each other. We don't have to all agree with each other, but you know, can, can we not go after character attacks and, you know, really start to tear each other down that way? Yeah, um, and I think that's kind of where like compassion comes back in too, you know? Yeah. You know, and we, uh, I'm almost every single weight inclusive dietitian has been a weight centric dietitian. Um, you know, almost every weight inclusive dietitian has rejected weight inclusive care at some point. Um, right. so we don't need to be on a high horse about right. our own journeys. Like we've been there and can we, um, empathize with the fact that, you know, not everyone is ready to, or not everyone does see practice the same way. Right. And I really appreciate you taking a stab at that because the, again, there is no right answer to this. We have opinions on all sides, but I think collectively everyone is frustrated by the attacking and by the like infighting. Um, and so I appreciate having one perspective on how we might be able to address it um, and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for all of your insights today and being vulnerable and sharing, you know, your own journey and being transparent about the ups and the downs and, you know, where you are currently. Um, if anyone listening wants to learn more from you or connect with you, how can they go about doing that? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, um, as Anya love fit, and that's mainly where I'm at. Um, not on Facebook so much anymore, but, um, that's, that's my handle on Instagram and you can reach out to me there. Um, send me a DM if you'd like. Awesome. I'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes. Uh, thank you again, Anya. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you enjoy these episodes, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with your dietitian friends. And if you listen on Apple Music, leave a rating and review. This helps the podcast reach more dietitians so that we can really create a collective of dietitians who feel confident and connected both to their work and each other. You are not alone. And as always, if you're looking for that extra level of support, check out my Empowering Dietitians Supervision Services at www.empoweringdietitians.com slash individual dash supervision. That's www.empoweringdietitians.com slash individual dash supervision.